What's your oath, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Pro Football Ireland. Funny enough, we don't have Michael doing the hosting today as it is the big one for two of this side of the podcast. Myself, uh, Mark Hogan and Jason Hayes. And it's the Cardinals episode. Everyone that listens to us knows that this is the one day a year that we live for. And I suppose if I was to have a dinner party, Jason, of course, you're always going to be at my table. If I had one other seat free, I would often probably give it nine times out of ten. I have to give one time to my girlfriend, to this other man, Darren Urban from azcardinals.com. Darren, how's it going? Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, that's quite a gesture. Uh, and I, I hope your girlfriend can understand that uh, there's always uh, other things in life besides uh, love, obviously. So, right? <laughs> you know, she's American and her Christmas holidays each year has to coincide with a Cardinals game. That's the only way I'll ever go over to see her family. This year, it's looking like we're going to go to the Pittsburgh game because I heard on the latest Cardinals Underground, you guys were kind of complaining, saying, well, Chicago, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, they were the three games. I had to have one of those fall in December because I knew that they were like the easiest to get to and to travel over to. So, uh, yeah, one man's, uh, what, misfortune is another man's uh, pleasure, <laughs> whatever that one is. Um, Darren, yeah, look, it's been a weird offseason for the Cardinals. We could have, this could have been a completely different podcast, really, except for there's been a lot of change. So we don't really have to look too much at the past. We're going to be looking a lot of the future. Uh, to kind of start us off, there's been a lot of change, but I suppose it all has to start with the Jonathan Gannon era is here. Have you noticed much behind the scenes, or is it too early in the in the year to even know what this Jonathan Gannon era is, or is there a noticeable difference between walking in the in the facility? Is there a different vibe to it? Is it a gentler environment? Is it more rushed? Is it more panic? What's it like now with him? I, I would say. I like the vibe in the building. Uh, I, I think there needed to be a reset. And the fact that uh, Michael Bidwell went ahead and changed out general managers as well as coaches, I think was something that was necessary here. Um, I like Jonathan Gannon's energy. Um, I, I kind of like how he approaches things. I got a chance to do a long sit down interview with him last week. And uh, I will be having a, a, in about two weeks, I'll have like a long form article about who he is and kind of hopefully give some people a, a flavor of, of what kind of coach is now leading this team. So I'm looking forward to writing that. I, I think um, I think it's too early to know what kind of impact that means on the field. Um, I think at this point, you know, we don't know, we don't know how some of these things are going to fill uh, kind of filter out. We don't know if DeAndre Hopkins is going to be on this team. We don't know how soon Kyler Murray is going to be, on the field again and there's going to be some growing pains with us i mean it, it would be disingenuous to sit here and say that this roster is in fantastic shape right now because it's probably not uh we're in the early stages of monty awesome for trying to get it to where it needs to be um so i i would say short term I, I like the vibe i like what the coaches bring it's a it's a relatively young coaching staff obviously jonathan gannon is only 40 years old um and I think that's going to go a long way in terms of bringing, again, energy and enthusiasm to where it needs to be. But as we all know, uh, how it plays out on the field is usually going to be the biggest tell. And you don't necessarily have to win games in year one with a new coach to know that you're going in the right direction. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But 
you know, again, what does that mean long term? Does that mean he will definitely be successful? It's it is definitely too early to, to figure that out yet. So you've been covering the team yourself, Darren, since the year two thousand now. Um, Jonathan Gallen is the seventh coach you've you've covered. Um, you had Dave McGuinness, Dennis Green, Ken Wisenhunt, Bruce Arians, Steve Wilkes, Cliff Kingsbury, and now of course Jonathan Gannon. As you say, it's early days, but is there any similarities between any of those past coaches that you see in Gannon, be it in terms of philosophy or um, simply how he conducts himself with the media? You actually, you actually missed one because my first year, Vince Tobin was the coach when he, the year started. Okay. He got fired midway through for Dave McGinnis. So I guess this would be eight. I don't know if I would necessarily say there's a similarity. Uh, I'm trying to think of, I mean, I, I don't know enough about him football wise to be able to make that comparison. Personality wise, um, there's a, a, a little bit of Bruce Arians there just because there would be many times when Bruce would definitely be entertaining. Uh, I think Jonathan Gannon's more entertaining from the person uh, from the the vibe kind of statement. Bruce Arians was entertaining a large part because he would you never knew what he was going to say. And I don't I, I don't think anybody uh, Jonathan Gannon is going to be smart with what he says. He's no, I don't think he's ever going to give much up in terms of in in press conferences and that kind of stuff. Uh, but he is engaging. He does know everybody in the building. Um, he does make you feel like you are important, whether you're one of the equipment guys or the quarterback or even somebody in finance. And I, and I think that's always important. I think it's important for him to have the whole building going in the right direction. And so it's important for him to know all those things. So uh, I do think it's relatively unique. Maybe there there might be a little bit of McGinnis when it comes to personality there. But again, McGinnis had a lot of homespun kind of anecdotes and things like that where, you know, not that Jonathan Gannon doesn't, but it's more of how he says things rather than exactly what he says right now. Um, because I do think he's going to be smart and play close to the vest and he's not going to say a whole lot about what his football team is doing because he, he doesn't want the Eagles and the, Cowboys and the 49ers to know what that is. So, um, as a first-time head coach, Cliff Kingsbury had Vance Joseph to rely on in terms of experience and maybe perhaps to to guide the transition into head coach. Um, they've gone a different way this time. Jonathan Gannon, as you said, has assembled, uh, assembled quite a youthful staff. He's just 40 himself. Drew Petzing, 36. Uh, defensive coordinator Nick Rallis is 29. Um, Drew Terrell, passing game coordinator, just 31. You mentioned that that can perhaps bring more energy to the coaching staff. What are some drawbacks you might see from lacking that experience? Well, I mean, the obvious one is just the lack of experience. And you're right, there isn't a Vance Joseph on this staff that um, you're like, okay, that would be automatically where Jonathan Gannon would lean. That being said, Jonathan Gannon's been an assistant in this league for 12, 15 years, whatever it's been. Uh, Petsing's been an assistant for a number of years. Rallis a little bit less, obviously, because he's only 29. There was only so much, so much time he could have been in the NFL. Um, but I think there's a feeling like, hey, we know this league pretty well because we've been doing it for a while. And, you know, again, talking Jonathan Gannon, he had a chance once upon a time to, after his very first year in the NFL, to go and be somebody probably higher up the food chain in a college situation 
And after that, he had a chance to probably move up the food chain faster than he was going to uh, in the front office uh, when he was a scout. And in both cases, uh, in, in the college situation, he wanted, he absolutely wanted to be in the NFL. And when he was a scout, he pretty much knew that he wanted to be a coach. So I think you have a guy that's very driven and to, to understand where he is, that he's wanted to be a head coach from jump. And I, I think he's a guy that ultimately feels like he has figured out a lot of the experience that is going to be needed on this level. Now, does that mean there's going to be no mistakes? I think, of course, there's going to be mistakes. Um, but there's a give and take with some of this stuff. And you mentioned it, while there might be a drawback of not having as much experience, you know, the reality is the experience didn't necessarily get this team any further along last year or at the end of 2021. So, um, you know, for me, it's going to come down to, I mean, he's got to know what he's he's doing, but it's going to come down to who the players are and who he's got running out there on a, on a weekly basis. And are they good enough? And, um, and, you know, he just made a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator because he had a ton of talent on that Eagles defense. You know, does that mean he's a great coach? Uh, I don't know if he would say great, but it wouldn't have made him a worse coach if he had lesser players. It's just you have lesser players. So I think I think a lot of this is kind of intertwined and, and we're going to have to see how it exactly it plays out. It's an interesting one with him because I suppose he didn't even mention there, but how driven he was that he was offered more money apparently by the Eagles and he said, no, I'm so desperate to be a head coach. I definitely want to move into that role straight away. But there was a lot of mixed feelings from the media when he was appointed head coach of the Cardinals. Some of it I saw, I feel like was misplaced. It was that, oh, they have the worst roster, so that's a bad appointment. That made no sense to me. Um, others then said, well, he had bad spells with the Eagles, which is absolutely true. He did have that episode this offseason where he kind of misremembered how maybe things had played out with the Philadelphia media that he was saying that they were for or telling him that he had to go and the Eagles beat writer said, no, this didn't ever happen. But he, I think, has, you could say, fairly gotten off to a shaky start in terms of the national media. I don't know so much in Arizona. We obviously base it further away. It looks like he's off to a rockier start. Um, I know the pew, pew, pew comments um, kind of went around America and this side of the world. But do you think, having been through the experimental Cliff Kingsbury um, era, do you think he is going to be afforded a longer or a shorter leash? Because I suppose Michael Bidwell knows now what he just went through, that the fans really got on top of him as an owner and as the organization. I mean, he couldn't go through in its Instagram posts without seeing fire Cliff Kingsbury. Do you think Michael Bidwell is going to be more or less patient than with Cliff than he was with Cliff Kingsbury with Jonathan Gannon now? Because at least Cliff Kingsbury had a stronger roster going into it all. I don't, I mean, I, do I think Jonathan Gannon could be a one and done? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I think you're going to see Jonathan Gannon for three years and we're going to find out where this team is in three years. You know, I, I get, I get where the, the Philly media maybe was a little irritated with how that all ended. They were mad that he didn't talk in the, um, after the Super Bowl. I, I get that as a, as a media member, as a former outside working for the team media member, that would bother me. Um, and yeah, okay, in a in a semi-private interview session, which obviously he knew could be public, he kind of talked about different things. Oh, they they wanted me fired. Look, 
one, he probably shouldn't paint it at all with a broad brush, but there were radio personalities in Philadelphia that were calling for him to be fired. There were. That's media. Now, if the beat writers want to be upset that they personally weren't bringing it up in a press conference, maybe not. Um, but I also find it a little disingenuous that it, it, this thought process that there wasn't a groundswell, whether it's fans or radio people or whatever, columnists saying maybe there should be a change there. I, I, I don't know if I necessarily go all the way in that direction either. So look, I, I think he's going to handle the things the way he's handled. I don't, I don't think he's been terrible in terms of how the public perception has been of him right now. I, I, I think, honestly, I think a lot of it is he's not, it's not really going to bother him one way or the other. Um, I don't think he's going to pay that close of attention. And he basically told me that the other day. He was like, look, I got a little too deep in that in Philadelphia my first year. And it's it's a no-win proposition the, the, when you move up the food chain because you're either going to be obsessing about people that think you stink or you're going to be believing people that say you're great and you shouldn't be listening to those people either. Um, and, you know, all you got to do is see it in, in this town, not that you guys are following the NBA, but like the Phoenix Suns just fired their head coach, Monty Williams, who two years ago was coach of the year. And people were saying how great he was. And and by the end of the playoffs, everybody's like, they got to get rid of him. And they did get rid of him. And it's like, it's just not worth it. So I think I think Jonathan Gannon is going to lean on being the head coach and focusing on where this team needs to go. And the rest of it, if people want to take shots at him. I mean, again, he's from Ohio. He just worked two years in Philadelphia. I mean, honestly, to, to, to be brutally honest guys i mean it's not this isn't philadelphia this isn't new york this isn't cleveland i mean it's 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 a gonna it's a relatively tame media market um i don't i don't think that's going to be one of his biggest issues I, he's going to have a much bigger issue again making sure he's got all the right players in the right places than maybe what people are saying locally or nationally for that matter if he wins if he wins, nobody's going to care. And if he loses, it doesn't matter if he's the greatest guy working with the media and saying all the right things anyways. He's losing. So, I, again, it doesn't. in the end, it really doesn't matter. And the main man in charge now of getting him those players to put in the right places is, of course, Monty Ossenfort. Um, right from his opening press conference, Ossenfort emphasized long-term stability and success within the organization as something he wants to achieve perhaps a bit of a, a step away from the Steve Kime philosophy of every year is all in. How do you think this new approach from Austin Fort has manifested itself so far in the offseason? Well, I mean, you, you've kind of clearly seen, and, and whether this is going to be a, a long-term deal or if this is clearing out the decks as you try and reassemble the roster, but I, obviously they didn't go after any uh, high-profile free agents this year. They went after a bunch of uh, smaller pieces to try and rehab some things to try and fill a lot of holes. I mean, they're they're going to be right back in the pool next year because they're going to have so many guys that don't that are going to be on expiring contracts and they're going to have to be doing it all over again. That's why the draft becomes so important. But but uh, you know, as everybody has talked about, I think he he did a great job on draft night in terms of flipping guys, flipping picks, uh, getting players that he wanted, and yet still building up for next year. I think they're in a much better place in that regard. Um, and and I, I like how Monty kind of handles details. Now, again, 
Here's a guy that he's, I think he's going to talk to the media. I don't know if he's ever going to say anything of major substance most of the time because he's just not that guy. And it's not because he can't, because he won't, because he doesn't want other teams knowing exactly what's what. Um, but I think we'll kind of see it play out as we go. Um, and again, his biggest things are going to be, what do you do to, with DeAndre Hopkins? How do you handle the Buda Baker situation? When does your franchise quarterback get back on the field? And if he does get back on the field and this team super struggles and you have a top three pick next year uh, and you have a chance to maybe get another quarterback, what do you do then? I mean, these are the decisions those are the biggest decisions that are going to have to be made. And you want to be able to build the rest of the roster as it goes. But ultimately, that's that's where this team is going to lie, is, is how you're able to ne- negotiate those those giant hurdles. And and can you do it in such a way that uh, you come out on the, on the good side of it when it's all said and done? So he still has approximately 16 million to work with. And I think it's the sixth, sixth most cap space in the league. We shouldn't expect him to use that, though, do you think? Or, or will they still have, be active before I, the season? I, I would guess, no, I wouldn't. I mean, would they, could they sign a veteran center still? Yes. Could they do a couple things? Yes. I, I don't I don't anticipate them doing anything with DeAndre Hopkins' contract. There's an outside chance you could do something with Buda Baker's contract. But if you did, the likelihood would be you'd probably structure it in such a way that you'd actually lower Buda's set, cap hit than raise it. So you'd actually gain more. Do I think they're going to spend all that money? No. I mean, I, I don't think, and if you look at the teams uh, with a lot of cap space over the last two, three years, a lot of them have carried it for a year or even two as they try and build back towards where they want to get to. I mean, the idea, 16 million seems like a lot, but that could get eaten up real quick. And uh, I, I think right now they want to kind of find where they are with, some of the veterans on this roster that are leftovers that could still be pieces going forward. What do you want to do with them? Uh, And obviously you might have a a rookie or two who you might want to extend at some point. Uh, And, and there's next year's free agency too. And you don't know who they might be looking at then. So uh, my, that's my very long winded answer of saying, I don't expect them to like dig deep into that, that salary cap room right now. I think, I think in a lot of ways you're looking at, the, the vast majority of these guys are, are going to be your roster for this year. And is that, I mean, you didn't completely um, nip it in the bud a second ago when you kind of talked about what could potentially happen because Cardinals fans would hope that they're picking outside the top three next year. But, you know, a lot of people will point to that. It's a strong possibility. And obviously with um, Caleb Williams coming into the draft and what it could mean that maybe Monty Austin's board does want to look for picks or there is a potential that Monty Austin Ford, this isn't his quarterback in Cliff K- or in Kyler Murray. Would you say that the two combined, the cap savings and the potential to get their guy, means that we can't close the book until next April on Kyler Murray's future as a Cardinal? I I still think at this point, all signs point to Kyler Murray as the long term guy at, at quarterback. I think he's in a a better place right now uh, mentally in a lot of ways. And I think he's looking forward to working with this new staff, but I, I don't, I don't really close the book on much of anything. You know, I, the thing about next year is there is some wiggle room to move on from Kyler if they really wanted to. Again, if you're asking me, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think Kyler Murray is going to be here for a few years. Um, but I, I just don't want to rule anything out. I mean, 
one of the issues, and I've had a lot of people ask me, okay, what do you think? You, you know, you guys were talking about what, how does JG going to attack some of this football stuff and how what, my, what my, Monty might do. The the thing, the position that I'm in right now is you don't know. Jonathan Gannon's never been a head coach, and Monty Awesomefort has never been a GM. So until we go through like a year of this, I have nothing to base my predictions on. I can only kind of get a feel for it, but you don't know. And until we get to that point, you don't know exactly what he's he's thinking or how it could go. So I'm hesitant to say anything. We did it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, okay, Paul and Danny, like, you know, bet your paycheck on the starting 22. How many of those guys, if you could pick that player and that certain position, how many are you comfortable saying that this is where they're going to be? And it's a very small number. Why is that? Because we don't know how Jonathan Gannon or this coaching staff is even going to look at these things. I mean, even a guy like Marco Wilson, who you would think, given who they have a cornerback and where he is and everything, you'd think he'd be a lock starter, a cornerback. But is he? Like, are they going to like him that well? I mean, you you really, really don't know. And, and so it's so hard to really make a lot of predictions because you don't know exactly how these guys are going to interpret everything. It was definitely an interesting one because I'd love that you circle back in the next episode of the podcast. Greg Rosenthal on NFL.com had put out his starting 22 for the Cardinals that apparently he was able to nail it and uh, Teddy Bridgewater was uh, linked with the Cardinals. So you got to love they know better than us. But uh, going back to Kyler for a minute, um, you would probably be able to speak to his development and, you know, uh, the national narrative of them like it's again as a Cardinals fan it makes you, your blood boil when you go on and you know people are making the the Call of Duty memes and all that never gets old apparently it does for us but what can you speak about for his interpersonal development I mean there was obviously that big comment by Kelvin Beecham earlier this offseason saying that they need to be able to have grown men conversations in the locker room and that we as outsiders were all blowing up his comments that he, he said that Kyler needed to kind of get focused or whatever. Um, do you think that Kyler is in a place now that he has matured and he's better capable of having those conversations? I, I'm i not close enough to the situation to know that. I mean, I'm you're just, you got to be in the locker room and everything. Look, Kyler is who Kyler is. Um, and putting aside the video game crap, because every player and every sport at that age a lot of them do that why it would be worse for him and not worse for you know hollywood brown or devin booker of the phoenix suns who does the same thing i mean it, it reminds me of what we were just talking about with the coaches when you play well you can do whatever you want and when you don't play well it's distracting you or whatever it is and um i, I think Kyler's personality is such that it's it's always going to be a little bit more work for him to kind of connect with a lot of people because that's just his personality. He's more of a loner. My son is the same way. I mean, my son is a great kid, um, but he just prefers to be a loner a lot of the time, and that's just how he is. He just he just have, doesn't happen to be an NFL quarterback. Um, do, do I think Kyler can do all these things? Yes. And, you know, I, I don't want to get into a whole bunch of names, but look, I've been around a lot of really good players, and I would say there's a couple of them that pop into my mind right now that I'm going to rename, uh, remain nameless on, but names you would know that people regard as great leaders and 
really good. And I would argue tremendously how terrible they were when they got into the league and when they first started playing. And they grew into it. Um, and I think part of it for Kyler is he's had to grow into a lot of stuff. And I do think that the where the situation was, I do think the relationship with Cliff Kingsbury soured uh, enough at the end that that didn't help either and, and the team struggling and all those things. So I, I think this is a reset for everybody. I think it's a reset, including for Kyler Murray. And, uh, and obviously he's got to get past the physical injury too, but uh, I do think you're going to see a, a new start from him. And I, and I think there's going to be a lot of growth there. And do I, can I say that a hundred percent sure? No, but I, that's what I believe is going to happen. I'm actually going to jump in with a quick one there because it um, it, it doesn't fall anywhere else in the podcast, but it kind of actually brought up um, when you're talking about former leaders and the video games, the Patrick Peterson celebration when he did the video game thing to kind of rile up Kyler. It actually riled up the fan base more than anything else. I just want to kind of circle back and ask, what do you think it's done to his legacy as a Cardinal once upon a time, you'd have thought he was a surefire bet for the Ring of Honor, and now it, I don't think it's the case anymore. You talking about Patrick? Patrick Peterson, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I think somewhere down the road you can get that figured out. Patrick was Patrick was clearly disappointed that this team didn't keep him, um, and I don't know if it was handled excellently on this end. I mean, he's talked about that. I don't know exactly of. I don't know if I necessarily buy every little piece that Patrick has put out there, but I don't think it was handled wonderfully on this end in terms of when he was near the end. Um, but I think in the end, I think he loved living in Arizona. I think he loved his house. I think his family loved being here. And I think he wanted to be here because he didn't want to leave. And when it turned out he wasn't going to stay, I think he was pretty salty about it. And I can completely understand that. Um, a lot of these guys want to say they they know it's a business uh, until it happens to them. And then all of a sudden um, it feels a lot more personal. And I understand why it would feel personal. That's why it always cracks me up when they're like, well, I know it's a business. Well, you know, it's a business now. You're, you're probably not going to know. You're not going to want to think that way if it impacts you. But um, I think Patrick probably could have handled some things better if he wanted to keep himself close with a, the fan base and unfortunately with a lot of things Patrick did his last couple of years that was already starting to fray a little bit when he got especially when he asked for the trade and got suspended I mean there's a lot of fans who were on the fence with him and and that really hurt things so um how he how he is with a fan base and whether he gets in the ring of honor not quite the same thing I mean Michael Bidwell will make the decision if he ends up going in the ring of honor but um but we'll see where that goes I I, I would hope that Patrick is able to uh, ultimately come back together with this franchise in one sh- way, shape, or form because he was a great player here for a long time, and I, I like the guy. Um, but he, he also has said some things that obviously have bothered others, and, and that's something that now has to be dealt with. We've had a couple of negative character-related questions there in a row, but um, moving to the positive characters because they, the new regime has kind of emphasized bringing in some good good guys and good characters into the locker room um, you know Paris Johnson Jr. at the first round draft pick seems to be one of them uh, he's gone over well with the media fans and I'm sure in that locker room as well DJ Humphreys may have a bit of a competition for for making the, 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 the group of guys laughing there 
Um, but how important do you think personalities are when you're trying to build a new winning culture? I think you have to have the right personalities. I mean, <clears throat> you can have a really cool personality and it still might not feed exactly into the culture that you want or, or necessarily be provide for a leader um, that you need. I do think that this draft class has been very noticeable and, and this is something they've done in the past. Not always, um, but this just talking to this draft class, uh, these are a lot of smart dudes. Like, I, I can't think of one draft pick where it was like, uh, okay. I mean, these are all smart dudes uh, that you could see being leaders at some point if they play well enough. Again, the thing about leadership and building a culture is the guys that set the tone, they got to be able to play. Like, it doesn't help you to bring in a person that could be a leader in the office um, or, you know, a spokesperson or anything if he can't play. Cause that's still the, the biggest bellwether in terms of whether a guy gets, is going to get listened to. Um, because if you don't, if you can't play well, the message usually falls on deaf ears. So if these guys can play, it'll help. But I, I love the attitude that Parrish came in with. Uh, I love talking to Michael Wilson, the wide receiver, uh, B. Joe Ojolari. I mean, we can go down the list of the draft picks. Um, I think they, they, they're bringing in guys who you want to have in your locker room, but they got to be able to play. Or, or Kaiser White, he's, he seems like a good guy in the locker room, but he's got to perform. You know, all these things. Buda Baker is a great leader. We all know that. But one of the reasons he's turned into such a great leader is he's such a great player. Uh, and you, you need both. It, just because you're a great player doesn't make you a great leader. But just because you're a great leader doesn't, or just because you are a leader, doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be a great leader because of of how you might play. Buda Baker and DeAndre Hopkins seem to be obviously the names that are most associated with potentially leaving this offseason still. As a big Cardinals underground fan, and everyone can check out Darren's podcast with the team, I did notice that Buda remains in the intro, but DeAndre Hopkins, when you changed this year to take out J.J. Watt, it wasn't DeAndre Hopkins that made us the way in, it was Marquise Brown. Is that a reflective on your own opinion that maybe one or other will stay or go? Well, I mean, I'm going to say that, A, that yeah, that's pretty clever of you since I I don't know if I have noticed the change in the intro. That's a question for Jim Omohundro. I mean, he obviously made the change. I mean, I, I think I've made my thoughts pretty clear, whether it's talking on the podcast uh, or in the mailbag, like, there is no doubt in my mind that Buda Baker is on this roster this year. Um, I still have a question of whether DeAndre Hopkins is. I'm I'm 50-50 on that right now. He talked again today on, a, on another podcast and talked around the whole being traded thing. And I think ultimately, um, I, I think that is something that will continue to be explored, but I don't think the team just gives them away uh they're going to be smart about it and which is smart with a deandre not going so far as saying i got to get out of here knowing he could be back so where the deandre hopkins thing goes i don't know i mean we could be going all the way to training camp and something could happen but i don't know i I don't know maybe maybe at some point it is settled and uh with him on the roster and jonathan gannon comes out and says this guy or monty this guy's going to be here this year. We can, you can all stop asking questions. He's on the roster. He's going to play for us in 20, 
23, and we'll, we'll see what goes there. We'll finish up on this, Darren, and thanks very much for your time again. Um, Gannon said that Kyler Murray's chomping at the bit to get back out in the field. While we don't know, or at least it's not publicly known, when that will be, do you think that the team has a, a date in mind or a game in mind at the moment? I don't. I don't think they... I don't. I don't. I don't think there's any way at this point that they could really have an idea. Um, we're we're still so far out. Um, we're still so far out that it it would be kind of. I don't want to say wrong to give a timetable at this point. I know they say they don't want to, and they're not going to want to. Even when they have an idea, they're not going to give out a timetable. But I I think right now it would just be wrong. I mean, he's. He is still far, far off. I mean, he's not hes not going to be doing football stuff anytime soon. I do think he's going to miss games. Um, now, is there a thing in their head about, okay, we would love to have you back no later than this date, if at all possible? Yeah, I i, I think there, there's some thought there. And I'm sure Kyler in the back of his head is like, I wouldn't mind getting back by such and such. Um, but you got to be smart. And, uh, you know, somebody uh, in my mailbag this coming week, it hasn't been posted yet, it'll be posted uh, Tuesday, um, was saying, how could he not be back for the beginning of training camp? You know, this is a six-month injury, and I'm thinking, (laughs) I've never been around. I mean, I can't speak for, like, Joe Blow, who blows out his knee and can be back at his office after six months. Maybe that's possible, but... Uh, I've never been around a football player that got back that quickly off an ACL. It just doesn't happen. Um, and it certainly shouldn't happen. I mean, again, you're trying to make sure that Kyler Murray is in a good place uh, when he gets back on the field because he's going to have 300-pound guys chasing him around trying to land on top of him. I mean, and he's going to need to run away from them. And the last thing you're doing with an ACL is going side to side and dodging around. I mean, could he do some straight-line running right now? I don't even know if he is, but could he? Maybe. But, I mean, in terms of going back and forth and then trusting it, and it's just there's a whole lot there. I've covered way too many guys that have come back from ACL injuries. He's probably not going to be back to normal this year, even when he does come back. That never happens, too. Dennis Gardick just talked about that before last season, saying the year before when he came back off the ACL, he just didn't – he was never super comfortable. So I think expectations have to be tampered to a certain – uh, extent when it comes to Kyler once he gets back and when that is your guess is as good as mine right now we're going to leave it there before we get too close to home because I know Jason over here is dealing with his own knee issue and I know you don't want to hear this going to take more than a year until you feel back to normal no um, say, say something more optimistic Darren I'm dealing with my own ACL tear right now so um, Sorry, it's, there, it's, it's Darren Urban you can find Darren on Twitter as he uses his way Cards Chatter and then of course on the team website thanks a million for coming on to Pro Football Ireland Darren appreciate you guys having me thank you